Welcome to the People Powered Business Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Lee Billet. If you employ staff, engage contractors, or rely on people to help deliver your products or services, you're in the right place. Join us each week as we dive in to uncover what makes people tick, learn the best strategies and tactics to build an amazing team, and most importantly, discover how you, the business owner or leader, can unleash the power of your people to help create the successful business you deserve. Let's get started. Hi there, welcome to episode number 59 of the People Powered Business Podcast. Hi, I'm Christy Lee, your host of the podcast. Welcome. It's so great to have you here today. I hope whatever you are up to, you're having an amazing day and are in the midst of a fabulous, fabulous week. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. It's so great to have you here. I really appreciate you joining me and I hope you enjoy our really interesting conversation that we're going to have today, which I'm about to dive into in just a moment. But for our returning listeners, welcome back. It's so great to have you. I hope you're doing well and I do appreciate you joining me back again this week on the podcast. And to that effect, if you are listening again and you've been enjoying the podcast, I have a slight little favor to ask you and that is simply this. If you're enjoying the podcast and there is a particular episode that you really enjoyed and you would love to share with someone who you think would also get value from the discussion we had in that episode, please share it with them. Just let them know, hey, I listened to this podcast. I thought you might uh, be interested in this particular episode. Here it is. And share away because the more people we can support to build amazing teams, to understand their people better and to build businesses that are productive and profitable and deliver success and freedom for the business owners and the leaders and the managers, then the better workplaces we create. So share the love if you've been enjoying the podcast. I'd really, really appreciate it. So let's dive in to today's episode. And today we're having a really interesting chat about a topic that we actually have not discussed as yet in the previous 58 episodes of the podcast, and that is imposter syndrome. Interesting topic to be chatting about when we're thinking about our teams, isn't it? I don't think, certainly in my experience, it's a topic that we really think about when it comes to the people that work for us on our teams. Imposter syndrome, I think, is something that perhaps we've all felt from time to time, or we've certainly seen peers and leaders suffer from having that feeling of imposter syndrome. And it's talked about in entrepreneurial circles, in business circles, um, in leadership and management spaces. But it's not something that we really consider or talk about it when it comes to our teams and our people. And I've recently come across the work of an expert in this field, Dr. Valerie Young. And I'm going to share with you some of her findings and her research today around how imposter syndrome can actually show up in our teams and how we can manage it, how we can help our team members to navigate their experience of this. But before I dive into the work of Dr. Young, let's just take a look at what actually imposter syndrome is. And there's a few different definitions that I'm going to share with you, but they all really point towards the same thing. So, The technical definition is that the imposter syndrome is the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of one's own efforts or skills. That's the very wordy version of the definition. It's basically a collection of feelings of inadequacy that persist despite evidence of success. 
And it's an internal experience. Imposter syndrome is an internal experience. It's a feeling. And if you've ever felt this way, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's a feeling. And it's around believing that you are not as competent as others perceive you to be. You know that feeling like, who am I to be doing this presentation? Who am I to speak to my peers about this topic? Who am I to be doing this? It's that feeling. And I think fundamentally, the fact that that it is an internal experience, it's a collection of feelings, and it's really about feeling like we don't deserve success. We're not good enough. Who are we to be doing these things? Interesting, right? And I think if you've ever felt that way, you can absolutely be nodding your head saying, yep, I know the feeling. But have you thought about whether your team might feel that way? Because I think as leaders, we we do a great job of supporting our teams and we may not even consider that they are experiencing at any point in their careers with us this imposter syndrome. And this is where the work of Dr. Valerie Young comes in. So Dr. Young has been studying and working in this space for many, many years, well over 20 years. And in fact, her own personal story of feeling the imposter syndrome dates back to the years of her her um, advanced studies in the 1980s when someone brought up this concept of the phenomenon of the imposter syndrome and she found herself in a room of peers and people all nodding, thinking, oh yes, that's me. And she was dumbfounded to find that these people were feeling what she was feeling because she saw them, like we all do when we're faced with someone that feels the imposter syndrome, that this person is absolutely worthy, that they are intelligent, articulate, uh, capable, skilled, whatever it is. So she's been fascinated about this area of, I guess, psychology for many, many years and spent uh, much of her career studying, learning and working in this space, coaching organizations on dealing with this. And she's written books on the topic as well. So is absolutely an expert. And I think it's really fascinating that she has invested her uh, much of her career into really digging deep into, into this topic. Now, what I want to share with you today is one of her particular areas of, uh, I guess, expertise or her findings, and that is around imposter syndrome in the workplace. And she's broken it down into five different types of imposter syndrome. And I want to explain to you her findings and give you a bit of insight into what these five different types of imposter syndrome are. And to, personally, I found this really fascinating that it wasn't just you know imposter syndrome, but that there's five different types and they're all they all share some similarities, of course, and that is that, you know, they're they're not good enough, they're destined to fail, nothing's ever good enough, but it shows up in very different ways. And I think as I unpack this for you, you'll be able to identify potentially people on your team or that you've worked with in the past that may have in fact been suffering this type of imposter syndrome. And I'm going to share with you today ways you can help them through this because you invest so much time into really building your team into nurturing your people into trying to build the most productive and cohesive workplace possible that if there's a bit of imposter syndrome creeping in if you can do something to help them work through that you're going to have a more engaged employee you can have a more productive employee and that's only going to be good for business right so what are these five types let me run through them and then I'm going to go deeper into each of them so Dr Young calls these five types of imposter syndrome the perfectionist the expert the natural genius, the soloist, and the superhuman. Okay, so they all have common traits, as I said, but 
they are all slightly different. So let's go through each one. Let's unpack what it actually looks like in the workplace and how you can best help manage this type of uh, an employee that's suffering from this type of imposter syndrome. And I use the word suffering, you know, not, you know, not to be funny about it, but it is, it can be quite crippling psychologically for people that really struggle with this. And it is certainly undoubtedly holding your employees back from being the best they can be. So that's why I use that word. So let's talk about type number one, which is the perfectionist. (laughs) Now, we all have known a perfectionist in our time. The perfectionist is that person that thinks that 99 out of 100 is failure. We may have all been guilty of this from time to time. They, you know, this is the kind of person that might uh, let's say forget one little point in an otherwise brilliantly executed presentation and, and they're going to go away and beat themselves up about it. They, you know, they'll kick themselves and say, oh, I can't believe I forgot that one point. What a disaster. Of course, it wasn't a disaster, but they will feel that way. They really focus on how, how things are done, how it turns out. The fact that they have forgotten this one point is really, really going to play on them. So the perfectionist is the sort of person that Anything less than 100% utter perfection is a failure. There's no gray lines. It is all in, 100% or failure. There's no in-between with them. Now, you, I'm sure, I, I think perhaps this is the most popular type of imposter syndrome. I don't know, but I feel like we've all seen a perfectionist at work. And it can be sometimes frustrating when you're watching it because you can feel like, oh, come on, you know, you were amazing. One That one point really didn't make or break the presentation. And for someone that doesn't suffer from this kind of imposter syndrome, it perhaps is a little frustrating to watch and you just want them to get over themselves. But that's really not the answer. So the way to help manage this kind of imposter syndrome is is to not simply tell them to get over themselves or to get over it or to stop being such a perfectionist. It's like having a conversation with a two-year-old in some ways. Telling them to stop throwing a tantrum is not going to mean the tantrum is going to stop. And it's like dealing with anyone stubborn. Telling them to stop worrying about something does not mean they're going to stop worrying about it. So telling a perfectionist to simply stop being a perfectionist is not the answer. And to some extent, we do have to appreciate the perfectionist because they do this, they suffer from this imposter syndrome, they worry to this extent because it's out of a deep and genuine desire to do great work. They actually genuinely care. And that's a really great trait to have. So telling them to get over it and to stop being a perfectionist is not the answer, but we also need to obviously help move them forward because being a perfectionist can slow things down. If it's 100% or nothing, you know, how hard is it to get to 100% on some of the projects you're trying to get through? Sometimes 100% does not, you know, it's not the ideal in terms of getting things moving forward. So it's really about working with the perfectionist to help them understand that good enough is good enough. And this is talked about in lots of leadership books and leadership material around, you know, 80% there can be good enough. And it depends on what what they're working on as to what is actually good enough and there'll be a, a tipping point. But it's really working with the perfectionist to help them understand when is good enough and to help them really just drop that need for that 100% because you need them to make progress and sometimes progress is better than perfection, right? 
It's not an easy thing to help them work through, but if you can support them in understanding that moving forward, even if it's not 100%, is better than holding back, and they can always fix things as they go. This isn't this is the first version, it's not the forever version. Sometimes just reframing it like that with them will really help them to at least take a step forward, which is what you need in the workplace rather than holding tight until they feel they've got it all 100%. Because sometimes you don't actually know if something's 100% until it's out there, until you've trialed using it, until you've put it in front of a customer. So you've got to help them work through that. So that's type number one, the perfectionist. Now, type number two is a little bit similar. It's called the expert. So whilst the perfectionist is focused on 100% failure, on how things are done and how the result was achieved, the expert is the knowledge version. The expert is the one that is consistently consuming knowledge. They're reading everything on the topic. They are listening to every podcast. They're tuning into every expert presentation. They believe that it's, I guess the belief is around, it's not necessarily the quality of the work that they're focused on, which is the perfectionist mindset. It's the quantity of their knowledge. They feel like they always need to be learning more, that they can never, ever learn enough about a topic or their area of expertise. They'll take courses, they'll do certificates, they'll be studying and reading and absorbing information. The problem here is the expert expects to know everything. So even the most minor lack of knowledge or uncertainty to them equals failure. And you've got to remember to people that have the imposter syndrome, any of these types of imposter syndrome, any sense of failure brings with it a sense of shame. So this is where it becomes very much an internalized process. And, you know, there's lots of work out there on shame. Brené Brown is one that has done an exceptional amount of work on this. But this feeling of failure and shame holds the expert back. So this is the kind of person from an imposter syndrome perspective in your business who won't put their hand up for a promotion because they never feel like they have enough knowledge. There's never enough knowledge, no matter how much. They might know more than anyone else in the business about this, but it's never enough for them. They are constantly in pursuit of more knowledge. They never feel qualified enough. They never feel knowledgeable enough to put themselves forward for a promotion that they might rightly deserve. So how can we help our experts when we can see this playing out in our business? I think one, you know, one way that Dr. Young suggests, and I think this is really clever, is complimenting and praising them on their efforts in knowledge acquisition, on the pursuit of their consistent development and personal development and learning in this space. But you've got to balance this, this is where it gets tricky, with letting them know, and this will be hard for them to hear, that they can't possibly ever know everything. This will be a challenge for them because this is what they're in pursuit of. It's like you can't possibly know everything about space. You can't know everything that's written on the internet. That's probably the most re- uh, relevant example. Um, it's never going to happen. So if you can find a comparative that you can give to this person, you know, depending on your industry or, you know, the type of work they do, where they can see quite obviously that, of course, they could never know everything about that, they might be able to come around to understanding that they can never know everything about what they're trying to pursue within their role currently. So the expert can be challenging in in this constant pursuit for knowledge because 
in doing that, it, they're not taking action when they should. Not only not putting their hand up for things, but they perhaps not are not taking forward action in their current role because they never feel like they've got enough knowledge to do it. So they will hold projects back potentially, which can be really problematic for them. So that was number two, the expert. Now, number three is the natural genius. Now, I have to be honest and say, I say, I see this play out in kids a lot, especially kids that are quite gifted. Um, it's probably a more difficult one to spot in the workplace, but the natural genius, these people think that intelligence and skill and ability is inherent. You're kind of born with it. Um, so they measure competence in terms of the ease and speed of doing things. So they kind of just expect to be born knowing exactly how to do things and to do things quickly. So, you know, things like knowing how to be a great leader, how to be an IT programmer, that should be, you know, obviously that should be something that's common knowledge, right? So these people will really struggle if they can't master something immediately, like they have to actually try or they actually have to learn something. I, as I said, I see this in, um, in kids more because when kids are naturally uh, gifted at, let's say, or not, not, not technically gifted, but just they, they, they just get things and everything's easy to them. That's the framework they learn in. And when, as things go on in life, something gets hard, it doesn't come easily, they get frustrated and they, they get frustrated with themselves because they're only learning up until now is that everything is easy and everything comes easily, and I have no struggle with doing things easily. But that's always going to get challenged, and when it does, that really challenges their self-perception. Um, and I think those are the kids that when they come into our workplaces might suffer from this kind of imposter syndrome. So if they ever struggle to master something, that means in their minds that they're not good enough, they're an imposter. So how can we help our natural geniuses in the workplace? Again, this is none of these ways we can help these types of imposter syndrome are easy or straightforward necessarily. But with this particular type of imposter syndrome, it's really about trying to shift their mindset. So these kind of um, natural genius people that suffer from this imposter syndrome, they have quite a fixed mindset. It's either it's easy or it's not. And it's really about switching them around to more of a growth mindset. I mean, they could do with a little bit of the expert in them, right? They could do with some search for learning and knowledge. Um, so trying to get them to see beyond the infinite, oh, sorry, the finite thinking of it's easy or not easy, but more of an infinite thinking of it can get easier if I look towards growth. So uh, one of the suggestions that Dr. Young makes is, let's say you've got a, a natural genius starting a new role, you could encourage them to keep a log of all of their questions or acronyms that they hear, um, and then you'll go through that with them at regular stages because they're, it's demonstrating to them that this isn't easy for anyone that's coming into this new role. It kind of uh, she explains, normalizes the knowledge gap. And I think that's a really clever tactic you could use. Um, but I think it's a whole reframing of the mind for your natural genius that can be the real struggle um, when they're just used to everything or their their whole self-assessment um, of things is that things should be easy and speedy. And the second it's not, it is imminent failure for them. So that's type number three. Type number four is the soloist. Now, Again, I think we all may have seen a soloist at play. Perhaps we've been one. The soloist is all about who completes the task. So if they, you know, get praised for something or awarded for something that they 
didn't do completely on their own. They got help for. They don't. It doesn't count to them <laughs> because they don't feel they deserved that praise because they didn't do it all on their own. Now, the problem with your soloists is they're so hesitant to ask for help because they think they should be able to do everything all on their own that things might not get done as quickly as they should. Because to them, the whole concept of asking for help, saying I need someone to help with this, that is failure and failure is shame. So again, every time we're leading towards a feeling of failure with these imposter syndrome people, it evokes this feeling of shame, which is very powerful um, personally and in the workplace. So with the soloist, it's all about helping them to really see the value of a broad mix of resources, about the value that an extra pair of hands can be to bring to a project or um, having more time or a bigger budget. And it might be actually worthwhile with a soloist, this is a, a concept again that Dr. Young recommends in her research, is to ask them to take themselves out of the equation for the project at hand and map out what, if, if they weren't there, <laughs> if, if they weren't the solo person there, if they weren't there at all, what resources would be needed to effectively deliver that project within the right time frame. And that will really help them to see that this isn't a one-person job. And with them not there, it kind of just helps demonstrate that. So getting them to do that exercise can be quite helpful. Um, but I think you just have to watch out for your soloists in the workplace because they take so much on um, that it can really hold things back without you realizing. And they're often not very good at sharing and delegating the work because because they feel that sense of failure. But it does mean that sometimes maybe the best person's not getting called in to do the job that they should be. So I think it's more one you have to watch out for. They're not going to come to you and let you know this is what's going on. And the final type of imposter syndrome in the workplace that Dr. Um, uh, Valerie Young points out is the superhuman. Now, I had to have a giggle when I was doing the research for this particular episode, and, and I was really fascinated researching, uh, reading Dr. Young's work, because as you may be aware, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, I've just wrapped up a three-part series um, where I was, I guess, giving you some insight into some of the lessons I've learned in the last 15 years in business. And in the final of those that three-part series, I shared some lessons around learning to juggle and about some of the lessons I'd learned and, and learned the hard way around that. And I think as I explained to you, the superhuman, you, you might, if you heard that episode, you might relate that I suffered from this uh, for quite some time. The superhuman measures their competence based on how many roles they can juggle and excel in simultaneously. So when I've given you examples before of my favorite thing to do being to check my Facebook memories and whilst, yes, I'm trying to look for cute photos of my kids when they were little because teenagers are hard work, what I often see is ridiculous posts like nothing like a bit of business planning at 9pm on a Monday night, like I thought it was some kind of badge of honor to be doing all the things and had to be excelling at all of them. And this is also where this feeling of guilt comes in for us that try and be superhuman because we feel like we have to excel in all the things all the time. We have to be an excellent parent. We have to be an excellent leader. We have to be an excellent business owner. We have to be great at servicing our customers. And so this is one of those types of imposter syndrome that overlaps between not just work life, but personal life as well. We have to be giving to charity and helping others in our community. And it's it's hard because the superhuman imposter syndrome sufferer 
is setting themselves up for burnout and failure. And I've shared my burnout journey with you before, and so I can really identify with how this can happen in the workplace. So how do you help your superhumans? Well, you'll be able to spot it a mile away. You'll know your superhumans. They're doing all the things. They're running a million miles, and they won't be able to see the cracks, but you will. So it's about kind of getting them to be on side with the fact that being great looks different for every aspect of their life. And, you know, I think if I could impart what I learned uh, in this as well, it's about understanding the need to drop the guilt because it's okay that sometimes you're going to be awesome at work and your kids are getting takeaway for dinner or they're eating two-minute noodles or eggs on toast. That's okay. And it's okay sometimes that you're spending time with the kids and doing some really amazing, um, you know, whatever activities or having a holiday And therefore, you're not working at that time and maybe things will fall behind a little bit. If you can remove that feeling of guilt from the superhuman, I think that goes a long, long way as well. So the problem with the superhuman is they're setting themselves, as I said, up for burnout. So somehow encouraging them to set some healthy boundaries, to slow down, to get rid of the guilt and understand that it's actually a-okay, that sometimes different things take priorities and sometimes they'll be great at one thing, but it doesn't mean they need to be great at everything equally all of the time, which is a bit of a struggle sometimes. So I think there's a few of these that you will immediately identify with that you've seen in your workplace, perhaps you've seen in yourself or certainly with others that you've worked with. And I want to encourage you to just take some time to really think about these types of imposter syndrome when it comes to your current team and see if there's anything actually that you hadn't realized that is happening and how you might now be able to work with that person a bit more closely to uh, help them overcome how they're feeling and they're going to be better off for it. They're going to be a better employee and therefore your business is going to be better off for it as well. So to recap, our five types of imposter syndrome, as defined by Dr. Valerie Young, we have our perfectionist, our expert, our natural genius, our soloist, and our superhuman. All of them suffer from feelings of inadequacy, suffer from feeling that they're not as competent, even though they are experiencing success and people are telling them that they are competent. All of them feel feelings of failure and that failure ultimately results in them feeling ashamed. And that is where it becomes very much an internalized process. They're not going to come to you and tell you they're feeling like this. You really do need to watch out for it. So I hope this has helped. I think it's a really interesting concept and I think it's really misunderstood and really not discussed in our workplaces. But I think if we as leaders and managers can identify this and can see it happening, we can do some really simple things to help people move forward. And it's going to be great for our business. It's going to be great for them. And it's going to be great for the productivity and the efficiencies that we can achieve within our businesses. I hope you've enjoyed that chat today. I thought it was a really interesting topic to bring to you and something different that we hadn't covered on the podcast before. If, of course, you've got topics you'd love me to cover on the podcast, please reach out and let me know. You can contact me at hello at peoplepoweredbusiness.com.au. But what I would love you most to do today is to join us inside our free Facebook group, which is called HR Support for Australian Businesses. You can Google group. If you go into Facebook, into the groups and you search that, you'll be able to find it. But I will put a link in today's show notes, which you can find over at peoplepoweredbusiness.com in episode number 59. But I'd love for you to join us inside the Facebook group. We have a fabulous community there of like-minded business owners, leaders and managers 
we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we do chat about all things to do with building amazing teams. And I would love to have you there. So please come in and join us there. That's it for me for today. I look forward to chatting with you again next week um, in the podcast. In the meantime, have a fabulous week and I can't wait to speak to you in a week's time. Take care. Bye.